Hey, this is Sam from the Attacker and Lee Show. Just a quick, super exciting announcement. You have asked for it. We have created it. We have merchandise coming to you November 1st. Until then, you can go to the Show.com, put in your email address, so you will be notified as soon as the stores open. And if you put your email address in there, we're going to pick someone to get some free merchandise. So go ahead and head over to the Show.com. Before this episode even begins, hit pause, go do that, put your email in. You might win something, but also you can buy gifts for clients, knock out Christmas shopping, or just treat yourself because you deserve it. So we just want to thank you guys so much for encouraging us to make some merchandise. We've got some really cool stuff, um, and Matt and I are stoked for it to be out. So once again, November 1st. Until then, go to theattackreleasheshow.com, put in your email address, and you will be notified when the stuff is live and you can purchase it. Thanks. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. Hi. On today's episode... It's going to be quick, but on today's episode is going to be about why you should play the course and not the player that you're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, this will be a quick episode because Sam and I have spent the last hour and a half catching up, being uh, like we're actually friends outside of the show. <laughs> Go figure. Too good a friend. And we have 30 minutes before Sam has to get off the date night. Yes, so sir. we're gonna keep we're gonna keep to the uh, we're gonna keep to the time. Yes. So. This really stays, pun intended, in the lane Ooh. of you should, why you should stay in your lane. So, Sam, you want to kick this off on how this got started? And yeah, a absolutely. lot of these are, a lot of these are conversations that you and I just organically have. Correct. They're real life just situations. Generate into like podcasts. Like, yeah, I think we can make an episode out of that. Oh yeah. And now we're gonna take what we thought was an hour episode. And we're going to make this real quick. Yeah, it's going to be a great episode. (laughs) It's going to be good. No fluff. So So here we go. Get ready. I'm ready to unpack. You unpack it. Here we go. Everybody focus for 30 minutes. (laughs) It's going to be great. I'm telling myself that. (laughs) Okay, so this episode, play the course, not the player, or stay in your lane. It all came from this quick revelation I had the other day when I had an artist that I love who... Um, I master all his music. He's in LA and he sent me um, the song to master from his mixer. I mastered it. Everybody loved it. And then he followed up with an email that said, hey, I've got my mixers, um, you know, faux master, reference master, and I'm just a being between his master that he says is master and yours. And yours, you know, we agree yours sounds better, but I'm curious to, you know, what's going on and why it's better, you know, when we're A-Bing it. And mm. first things what was uh, I was happy that I beat a foe master. That's always a nice thing. <laughs> um, and second thing was I had this thought as I was uh, writing an email back to him because a lot of people shoot out mastering engineers or shoot out mixers and they kind of do a side-by-side comparison to see which master is better than, you know, the other mastering guy. And I kind of had this thought that I thought, um, this thought that I thought, that mm, was helpful. Funny how that works. Yeah. 
um, that basically when you are shooting out things next to each other as, you know, like if you sample master three mastering guys and you get three masters back and you're comparing those three against each other, you have actually missed the whole point of mastering because you have forgotten about the market and the market will always dictate what you should do and how that um, basically blends with your goal and vision. And by market, I mean the actual music industry, the real world reality of what's out, what's doing well. You know, if you're a pop artist, you probably want to check out what the top 40 pop tunes are right now. And when I was explaining this email, I basically was saying to him, you know, the main difference is actually that you know, you shouldn't be comparing my master to his master. You should be comparing my master to the market and to the number one pop song right now that's out there. That's what you should compare it to because that's actually your competitor. The competitor is not the mix engineer's master, and shooting those out is actually not doing you a, a good service. Um, what you really need to be focusing on is... You know, how does my song sound next to Taylor Swift? How does my master sound next to Post Malone? How does my master sound next to Justin Bieber? Not how does my master sound next to other mastering guys work? Um, because that, to me, now that I've kind of thought about this for a while, um, is really irrelevant. And, you know, it's it can be helpful to maybe shoot out, you know, engineers to see who has, like, better quality, but that's all based on like an ABC test, you know, A versus B versus C within the master engineer. And you have forgotten once again, totally about the market, which is really the most important thing because that's where your song is going to go. Your song is not going to go up against those other guys songs on like an album. It's not going to be like a 10 album compilation of your song mastered 10 different ways. And then everybody votes or like <laughs> decides which one's best. It's going to go up against the competition. And so that really got me thinking of, you know, when we're working on music, no matter what stage you're at, you need to, and it's it's a golf analogy, and I love golf, is when you are golfing, you play the course. You don't play the competitor you're playing with. As soon as you start comparing and playing against your competitor, you will almost always lose. And that's just kind of a an approach and a psychological thing of when you start playing against your competitor during golf, you have missed that really the thing you need to beat or the thing you need to manage and play well on is the course. And to me, it's just you and the course. And that for me with music is like, it's just me in the market. It's not me against Sterling. It's not me against Master Phonics or me against another, you know, even Matt. It's me against the market and how my client's vision plays into that. And so basically this really solidified to me once again this whole idea of, you know, those people that win and succeed that we know that have done great things, they have all stayed in their lane throughout 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And they have all played the, played against the market, it appears, because there's such a distinct sound from the guys we usually really look up to. And they did not get that sound and they didn't get to where they were by constantly comparing their work to another mastering engineer or another mix engineer. They may have listened or admired or I don't know, maybe they did compare, but at the end of the day, what makes you really stand out in my opinion, now looking at my music journey the last 10 years 
is that the more I stay in my lane, the more I do what I do, and the more I play, you know, me against the market and how does my client's vision work into that, the more successful I've been. And so I just thought that was a really fun uh, idea that I wanted to unpack and I sent it to Matt and I said, Matt, is this anything or is this stupid? Because sometimes I have ideas where I get excited about things and then I'm like, yeah, this really isn't anything. It's not a podcast. It's not even a blog. It's a, a text message with a misspelled word to Matt <laughs> and that's it. But I think, Matt, you you felt like it was a decent thought and I wanted to really do this episode because I want your thoughts and opinions on it. So I'm handing it off to you. What do you think? I think that most of your text messages are well-written. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Your grammar is pretty on point. Oh, well, that's nice. (laughs) Thank you. You know, with like a couple few like spell check. That's probably like that's probably the biggest one. Oh yeah, where everyone gets hung up <laughs> is when spell check just. The spell check is like the least useful thing <laughs> these days. <laughs> yeah, like everyone's like, okay, yeah, spell check in the early day really got me, like where I needed to go text wise. Like when T nine was phasing out. Yes, and now spell check is just like making you send embarrassing things to your grandma. <laughs> and. I got a funny thing that I got to tell you that I can't say on the on, on this podcast. <laughs> I would really have to put an explicit thing next to next to this episode if I said that. Anywho, yeah, I, I mean, I one hundred percent agree with you. I mean, I like even with the golf analogy. I I don't golf now, but I mean, when I was a kid, uh, my dad and I would like go to the driving range and like hit balls and stuff like that, or go play just nine holes or something like that, and just kind of grew up doing that I guess um, I never really never really cared for it much but I mean I completely understand the whole mantra of you can't really worry what the other person's doing because let's take it in the literal sense of golf that you are missing probably so much that that other person who's playing you has mm-hmm. whether it's a technique that they do whether it's like, I mean, yeah, like golf does, like when you get into like a certain tier, it does come down to gear. And I mean, there was, my, my dad, when I was a little, he used to collect golf balls, like really weird ones. And there was one where like the dimples were actually inverted. Hmm. And I guess there was this course down in somewhere in the Caribbean. And it was such a short course that they came up with certain balls for it. Interesting. Because it was impossible to hit a normally dimpled golf ball hmm. on that course. Like you actually needed the added air resistance of the dimples in order to play the course. Interesting. Yeah. That's amazing. And so it's like, yeah, even like stuff like that. And it's like, I mean, in the cigar store, I mean, shoot, we used to watch the golf channel all the time and you'd have like the same thing that you're seeing like Sweetwater and Vintage King and everyone send out to everybody today like all these gear things like oh we'll use this golf trainer used by the pros and <laughs> stuff like that and so like whenever you are playing golf with someone and then if you're like really no matter like where you are like I'm, I mean until like you hit like a PGA level and you're like really starting to place I mean if you play the person who you are uh like paired up with I think in tournaments it's just pairs I don't think they're in fours in tournaments yeah not usually um, it's two or three if you're playing the person 
who you're paired up with, they have so much different of a technique and they have so much different experience than you do. And and it's not that they don't have the same level of experience. It's just that their experience is so different that you could be trying to copy them down to the clubs, down to the um, the ma- the manufacturer of like, uh, what is it, like the golf shoes and like gloves and everything else. And I mean, it's not going to make you a better golfer. It's literally just getting in there every day and and figuring out how to, in my case, not act like a freaking farmer, a potato farmer, <laughs> just digging <laughs> trenches, but actually like putting in the work and becoming better at what you do. So much like with mastering, uh, I, w- I would hear a, I'd hear a, a, a bunch of stories of people who would be, um. And and looking, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to phrase this in a way that is semi hidden, <laughs> but um, coming up in mastering, I was told of a handful of mastering engineers who would try to copy uh, another group of more experienced mastering engineers who were getting these like really massive pop projects, and I guess that pop project will let you know if this pop filter on this thing is working. <laughs> <laughs> Chances are no. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, and going through this, you would see that it's like, whoa, their room literally looks like this other person's room. And they're really using like a lot of the same gear. And like even down to like the color of the walls <laughs> and how stuff is trimmed out. And like you kind of, you kind of go through their gear list and you're like, whoa. It's like even down to like the mono blocks. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, whoa. This is really bizarre. Um, but that's not going to... And the funny thing is, is they're just... I'm not saying they're not good at what they do, but they're not to the level that the person that they are copying is. Mm-hmm. And it's because they're not pushing themselves. All they're doing is they're copying. It's like my wife... Um, she had a, a a business where she had some crafts and whatnot, and um, or, and she would see like another business in town that would be uh, copying them. And it's like you're not going to get ahead just by copying somebody, mm-hmm. and like you're not actually developing yourself as a person, and you're <laughs> like nothing. Nothing about this would ever impress a bank, a financial advisor, or anything in terms of how to run a business, let alone how to, like, if you even wanted to, like, take this into life advice. Um, I just I just don't see where by hopping into somebody else's lane that you would be getting ahead in life. And I don't know. I'm just I'm just so against it that... I can't even really fathom what it's like to, like, not stay in your lane. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why would I want to do what they're doing? It's like, their stuff's cool, but I could probably do some pretty sweet shit too. <laughs> exactly. So I don't know. Uh, but then, like, but putting it in the perspective of uh, play the course, not the player, it just... It's it, it just a completely it, it ties so many things that we routinely talk about here in together. Yeah, and so it's like playing the course is 
a completely different topic than playing like the player. Like don't play the player is stay in your lane. And playing the course is what we say where you are is where you need to be. Yeah. And so it just like it just ties those both in really, really nice. So no, I I really like this topic and I think it just I mean it's cool that it's a thirty minute topic. Right. So I don't know. And then the the whole thing you brought up the whole um you're not playing the engineer, you're playing against the market. And did wait real quick, this is like something I've kind of noticed. Have you at all noticed that I'm not talking like post Malone or anything, but like that pop music seems to be getting a little quieter. Yeah, it's getting darker. Have you noticed that at all? Yeah. It's, it's a- like hanging like verses that are like hanging around like I don't know, like minus eight, minus seven in terms yeah. of RMS. Yeah. And I was like, wow. <laughs> Wasn't expecting this from this new pop record. Yeah, I've noticed it be, I'm not sure quieter, but it's perceived to be quieter. There's been a lot of darker albums, and I've even gotten notes. I've noticed this too. Where people have said like, hey, can you make it less bright? And the reference they that. sent me <laughs> I is, got that the other day, yeah. Is dark. And really, to me, the first person who I noticed doing it was Manny uh, Mark when the mixer? I don't know what happened, and I like it because the last like year his mixes to me have sounded really kind of dark and old sounding. And he was the first person. It's on Oliver Ed's album because he mixed most of that outside of the single. Uh, I don't or I don't care that one with Bieber. Mm-hmm. I think um, Serban mixed that one. But, uh, yeah, a lot of Manny's work has been super dark the last 14 months. And it's not loud sounding. Because um, I have some of it, uh, of his work in a playlist next to, like, Laney or different pop bands. And his stuff sounds drastically quieter, but it's also, like, the number one songs <laughs> in the world. Yeah. Like, Ed stuff is like continually top 10 international all-time streaming sales. So not to sidetrack, but yes, I've noticed that and I like well, it. It's, it personally. it's actually not a sidetrack. Yeah, okay, good. Um, it's not a sidetrack because while we're saying um, that you're playing against the market and not the other engineers, Yeah. so the question then arises per the question that I just brought up, well, aren't I just like following what other engineers are doing mm-hmm. if then I then play into that market? Yes. And it's like, while you should be um, while you should be playing the market and not the engineer, you're a complete fool if you're not paying attention to what other engineers are doing. Yes. So but you're not do not play against them. You have to like understand like, okay, well, a couple years ago, everybody, and even like, it's still even like a thing, it's kind of fading out, but like literally every record that came out had like every snare sounded crunchy (laughs) and like had some type of like distortion on it. And I'm not saying it's like a new thing, but it was just like a fad that like everybody had to have this. And now it's like, you're getting a lot of these records that are like darker sounding records and... 
uh, I'm getting a lot. I'm I'm having more revisions with uh, pop and some like even like kind of getting into hip hop a little bit. Uh, people are saying we're kind of going for like a more modern feel, like a really clean top end, but that does not mean bright. Mm-hmm. That means like, and it's not not even necessarily meaning cold, but I almost have to mix it colder and darker in order to achieve that vibe. Mm-hmm. So, and it's, I, I, I think I've even seen interviews with certain engineers, not mastering engineers, just mix engineers and producers who say, yeah, I've kind of just really liked producing on the darker side. And I mean, people don't seem to hate it. So we'll see if it ever comes around. Yeah. And so, I mean, that could be like the trend that's coming out. And so I might have to learn how to be better at mastering dark, which is cool. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't mind it. I'm always <laughs> open to figuring out this stuff. I mean, the snare thing kind of threw me for a loop because I was like, wait, is that, am I doing that distortion or, but yeah, I just, but I think like the perceptive element of a dark, uh, of a dark mix or master is that it's not perceived as, um, as, as loud. Right. As say something that is bright and forward. Yeah. So, I mean, you even look at like the Billie Eilish stuff. Yeah. It's not... I mean, you, you can say dark, and I mean, I, I don't mean like her persona, which is, right. I would go as far to say macabre. <laughs> um, I guess as we like near fall and Halloween. Um, but I mean, even like that's, if I'd like to figure out like when all that started. So that's not necessarily saying that we are following what other engineers are doing, but you definitely need to follow what the market is doing. Right. Because if you can't deliver to the market standard, then you have now become something uh, the business world likes to refer to as obsolete. Mm-hmm. So, or not relevant if you can't deliver what the market's asking you to deliver. Um, so yeah, that that was just that was just a question I had for you. Yeah, and I was like, eh, maybe, maybe this is a little weird, teachable <laughs> moment. I don't yeah. know. Who knows if anything I say is actually teachable? <laughs> oh, it's teachable. Yeah, I mean, I I would say like, I like that idea and that thought a lot. Um, that little riff you just had. Um, but I was thinking too, like playing the market. You can still stay in your own lane, obviously, and I think that needs to be made clear: is you can stay in your lane and still be competitive with the market by following trends. Because at the end of the day nothing we do is really original. We're essentially just repackaging ideas and things that have been taught to us and then spitting it back out in our own translation of how we hear things, which is how you create a sound. But I do think, you know, when I look at the last 10 years of doing music, the things that have really helped me kind of grow has been when I you know, when I really just stay in my lane. And within that, I think it's important to know that when you stay in your lane, you are going to have people that hate your work (laughs) and that that will be normal. And that's kind of like, you know, I grew up playing golf. And when you get into a tournament situation and you get to see like 60 competitors all swing 
and like hit a golf ball, they all swing differently. <laughs> and like you'll have people on the range look at other people and be like, this guy swings really weird. It's like Jim Furyk, who's a PGA pro, really successful, has one of the strangest swings. Like Happy Gilmore. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's he doesn't <laughs> run up to it, but it's as weird as running up to it. And he like does a full. I don't know, it looks like a helicopter circle at the top of his backswing <laughs> before he hits oh, it. Oh, I know this. That's kind of like a... Uh, what is it? I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's kind of like... There's like an Ar- Arnold Palmer element to it almost. Yeah, there's something different. It's like... I don't know. There's nobody... Nobody has a swing like that. And he grew up being told, hey, you're never going to get anywhere if you swing like this. Like, he took lessons and everybody wanted him to change his swing to a you know single planer we call it single planer two plane how you take it back and forward and it basically he was just like no like I'm playing the course and essentially the tournament it's me against the course and he would win all the time Yeah. so it's like why would he go chase someone else's thing now that doesn't mean he you know when you're playing the course you know for me golf playing the course is like you do practice rounds and you go to the course before the actual tournament and you learn what the course is like. That's like learning the market. Like, how is this course playing? Is it, you know, are the are the fairways mowed down? Are the greens running fast? Meaning, like, when you hit the ball, it goes a lot faster. Did it just rain? You know, what is the course playing like? And that's just like when we approach the market and the industry we're in, we have to essentially have practice rounds to me of the market and be like, what is the market doing? What is Where is it at right now? Are we coming into Christmas? Are we coming into spring? Are we coming into summer? Who's putting music out? And knowing your market and being aware of it then to me allows you to actually be confident in your lane and know how to play the market with the way you're equipped and the way you've trained, if that makes any sense. So like, mm-hmm. to me, you know, Jim Furyk, who has a weird golf swing to most people, you know, when he plays the same course that Tiger Woods does, Jim knows how to play that course based on how he swings and how he hits the ball, how he works it. And just like Tiger Woods plays the course differently to attempt to win as well and stays in his lane, that's exactly to me, you know, what I see in our industry. People, you know, should, I don't always love using the word should, but I think it would be helpful to people if they would study the market a little bit more and play against the market while also figuring out, okay, what skills do I do well? How can I best serve the client? You know, what do I offer? And then how does that, you know, how do you implement a strategy to compete in the market? And I think that's where a lot of people have never thought about that. They've never thought about what do I do that's unique and what do I do that's you know, natural for me and allows me to compete in the market and serve clients. And until you do that, until you've stopped comparing your work or stopped trying to beat out people in shootouts and you get all wrapped up and worried about who's doing what project or someone put out this release or, you know, until you get over all of that, you'll probably never even have a career. Like the amount of people, and I was included in this years ago is... I used to just compare my work to everybody and like try to beat out someone else's work. And by the time I did that, it's, you know, that work's not even relevant to the market anymore. There's albums I used to chase that were eight years old where I was like, oh, if I could just beat that mix or something, I would feel good or something. I don't know. It's like all ego based. 
Um, I mean, that even <laughs> touches on the whole uh, the whole heated mix thing too. Yeah, yeah, it does. where it's like. Because if you get into a heated mix and like what the artist quote unquote approved, I mean that doesn't mean that it's good, right? And I've heard more heated mixes that are wrong, as opposed to like ones that like actually sound good and be like, yeah, this is the direction I want to take it in. And nine times out of ten, it's like, no, this is not the direction I want to take it in because I don't think that this is appropriate like for the album. Yeah. So it's like it's not there, there's almost nothing beneficial in chasing after that. Mm-hmm. So they can almost do more damage than good. Anywho, on another... Well, actually, I want to back up real quick. Yeah, yeah. When I said that, like, something... That if you're not following, like, a market trend, you'll be obsolete, you won't be obsolete. And I, I, I want to correct that because there will always be a market. But if you don't follow a trend in your specific genre or market... um you you may see or or probably will see a pretty substantial decline in business. Um, so I would more take that as like like a a warning to be heated as opposed to like a threat that like oh you're gonna lose all your business you suck. <laughs> it's like no that's that's not gonna happen. Um, but I mean if people are wanting something and you're refusing to deliver it, then you are putting yourself in a little bit of a box. Mm-hmm. But there is always going to be, I mean, I think the saying, I just burped, sorry, <laughs> I heard that. There's a, I mean, it's like the whole dating term. There's a shoe for every foot. <laughs> so <laughs> you see two people who like don't look like they should be together. It's like, there's a shoe for every foot. I like that. So back on the golfing thing. So I had, not that I wasn't listening to your last monologue, <laughs> but I was looking at the Arnold Palmer swing and the Arnold Palmer, he does the whole little helicopter thing on the follow-through yeah. like when he's back up top. Yeah. But, like, this whole Jim, his name is Furick. Yep. This dude is the... Like, I do not know how this dude is accurate at all. Exactly. This dude straight up with his right arm comes down. Like, all of his, like, force is brought down with his right arm. Yep. And it seems like his left arm is literally, like, what's driving the direction of it. Yep. It's like... Normally, I like I would always think like you're using your core for the most part and your shoulders, but this is like his right arm is literally the power that comes down because his elbow like literally tucks into his like right oblique, yeah, pretty much or hip, and then his left arm just guides it and powers it through. Yeah, it is the weirdest golf swing. Like this, it should not work. Right. Now you got me on this. We got to post these two videos <laughs> in the liner notes of this. Being like, man, what a weird frick! Like, how does this even work? Yeah, and I mechanically, mean, he, this should be failure every time. He has like one of a. He's uber successful. Like, yeah, one of the best golfers of all time. And he also has like, I mean, he shot a fifty-eight, which in golf is like unheard of for eighteen holes, and that's just like. His whole story is staying in his lane and just, and it doesn't mean he wins every time either. He's got lots of losses. You lose more than you win in golf. Like that's, but that doesn't mean you're a bad golfer. Like most guys who are some of the best golfers of all time, at the end of the day, they've lost more rounds than they won or they lost more tournaments than they won. And I think that's an interesting thing to think about because 
if you want to think about the market, it's like, you know, of all the albums I do, you know, a quarter of them people know who the artist is, but 75% of them probably people will never know who the artists are. Like it'll, it won't quote unquote do well, you know, streaming or sales. It's just the way the market is. But that doesn't mean that the artist is bad or that I'm bad or that anyone's bad. It just means that's the way kind of life goes. And I think there's this mis, there's this misunderstanding within life that the people we see winning, we think all they do is win. Like, everything like they never have a loss or a fail but they do and that to me is like completely normal and it just kind of allows you to stay in your lane and know that like some things are for you and some things are not for you and once you accept that that's pretty much the reality even for like the top performers who we think only like piss excellence every day like as soon as you get over that and understand that you can still be super successful and have a lot of losses under your belt. And you can learn that those losses are more so just like maybe it wasn't the best fit or maybe, you know, statistically or in a financial way, it's not measured as being great, you know. But yeah, it's it's just interesting. Like I want, you know, wrapping up for me at least, what I need to say is I just want everybody to really focus on what do you do that's unique? And it's got to be a thought process that's beyond just like, oh, I make rock music for indie bands. Like, who cares? Everyone does in Nashville. It's got to be more of like, what do you actually offer people in your experience and in your opinions? And it's got to be beyond the surface, surface level. Otherwise, you're going to have a really hard time you know, staying in your lane because you don't even really know what your lane is. You just know you're on the highway somewhere. But that's kind of, that's all I have to say on this. So Matt, I would love to have your final monologue or remarks. No, man, it's 6 p.m. here. 5 p.m. where you're at. Woo! I'm keeping you, I I don't want to, I don't want you in a bad spot. You got to get to date night. (laughs) I'll be all right. So I would say uh, let's go ahead and queue up some music. Queuing. And, uh, yeah, I like our 30-minute episode. It's kind I don't of fun. know if we should like release something else. I feel like where this is like a disservice almost because it's like a really, really short episode. Yeah. I don't know. We might have to figure something else out. No, I think, it'll, maybe have, I think uh, our audience might like it. A little 30-minute episode. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I, I have a couple of people who have told me that they listen to our podcast in the gym. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll i tell you one thing. I'm not that motivating of a person. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know how you can do it. I would just fall asleep on a rower or something. <laughs> Anywho. Yeah. Thank you all so much for listening. If you like what we're saying, uh, hop on iTunes and uh, just uh, throw some stars or a comment or something like that. And uh, yeah. Whatever you're having, have a darn good one. Sam? Matt? Sam? Matt? Sam? Matt? (laughs) Cue the music. Cueing. See y'all. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.